Hi everybody, good afternoon. Um, let's dive right in, okay? I want to talk about feelings and our faith. And the reason that I want to bring that up is because feelings are very natural. They are very real and raw sometimes. They're very intense sometimes. Uh, sometimes we do things out of bad feelings or emotions, which are wrong. But sometimes we do things out of good emotions or feelings, and that's not always right either, okay? There can be extremes. But the reason I want to bring this up, and I think the reason God is sharing this with us, is because I, I, in my prayer time recently, I, and in my own life, I really am caught by God telling me to, as a part of this preparation, as a part of this, this schooling that we're getting to do and, and, you know, getting prepared for persecution or whatever else the future may hold for us, as our Christian walks get harder and more difficult in the face of the world that is changing, not for the better, we've got to learn to endure. Like, if we want to make decisions based on our feelings, we want to pray according to our feelings, and that's not always right, okay? So what we got to do is got to figure out where is the right proper place for feelings and emotions as they pertain to our faith. That's really what we want to get to. Um, so I want to say right off the bat, in, in the church, in the body of Christ, okay? I'm sure you've heard it. We often hear and we often think about and are taught that we should live above, or that we are to be living above and not according to our circumstances and situations. Have you heard that? And that's true, that's right, okay? They shouldn't dominate us, okay? There's a place for them, but like so many other things in our life, they shouldn't dominate us, okay? They're to be ruled over and mastered and um, being, in, being in submission to us, and we have to have the discernment, especially if we're walking in the spirit, not in the flesh, to walk according to them. In other words, they, they are natural and they're, they're even good in the spiritual sense, but they're not to be the end-all be-all. They are not to guide us in the way we should go. We are to discern and have these feelings for a reason, kind of like pain is a radar that something's wrong in our bodies. Feeling good or bad can be those things too, but they're not to guide us. We are to be mastering them, okay? This is true if you've heard it before. It's true, and it's very biblical, so you can pay attention to it. Now, we know that circumstances and situations, okay, they change, and they change all the time. They can change minute to minute, hour to hour, day to day, or from season to season. But our faith in Christ Jesus, okay, should be firm, right? And it should be constant. In fact, it should grow more and more and more. Now look at it this way, and that's going to sound weird maybe at first, but okay, this is how God speaks to me because he knows how I think and what will resonate with me, okay? So I hope it makes sense for you. If life can be considered a pinball machine, okay, hang with me for a second. If life can be considered a pinball machine, for the sake of example, our life in the Lord should be like the flippers, telling the ball where to go. Okay, then we should be telling our circumstances where to go. We should be telling our, our feelings and emotions where to go. We should not be guided by them. Okay. Excuse me about that. I thought I turned it off. But we often feel, and our circumstances are like this too, we feel like the flippers and, excuse me, 
let me say this again. We feel like the flippers are our circumstances, and we are the balls being bounced around all over the pinball machine. Isn't that true? And what I mean by that is it's a little bit out of control, okay? We're supposed to be dominating our life and, guard, and, and making decisions and, and, and letting God guide our life in the right direction. So we're supposed to be the flippers, and the circumstances, the emotions, and things like that should be the balls. Because the balls are controlled by the flippers. But often is we feel like we're the balls being bounced around and guided by external forces like feelings and emotions and circumstances. So those would be the flippers. I hope that makes sense. It makes perfect sense to me. I can picture it in my mind all the time. Okay, but isn't that true? I mean, this might be how life outside of Christ is and often is. <coughs> Excuse me. But, but life in him is and should be very different, especially since our new lives surrendered to him, his lordship, his sovereignty, are to be guided by him. Okay, circumstances are outside of us, okay? And they're hard enough to maneuver through and around and over and under, okay? Or to even be patiently endured as we walk in the middle of them. Okay, remember this, remember this. James 1, verses 2 through 4, I'm sure you've heard this before. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you submit, when you meet trials of various kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let's, let steadfastness, let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. This is a great verse, okay? Now, this is hard enough, I understand, but it's necessary. Circumstances and situations are external, like I just said, okay? But what about what about feelings and emotions, which is what we're talking about? They're internal, okay? They're quite different, and they seem to be, uh, how can I say, much more interwoven, and they spring up from within, Okay, so they're a part of us, kind of, right? I mean, feelings and emotions are inside, while situations and circumstances are outside. So the external things are hard enough to deal with. But what about the internal things, like feelings and emotions? <clears throat> what are we supposed to do with them? How are we supposed to master them? <coughs> Excuse me. They're more, they're more difficult to ignore. I know, or even master, if we've even tried, or even if we've ever known we were supposed to, okay? They're flippers also, but they're not intended to be, okay? Let's look to Jesus, our example in everything. He never sinned, he's fully God, fully man, and he faced temptations and feelings and emotions every bit as much as we did. What, what's more, though, is he came out on top, and that's what he wants us to do, too. Now, this wasn't meant to be a Resurrection Day message, although we just recently had Easter, but the spiritual passage that he's leading us to is not only appropriate in timing, but it couldn't be a better lesson for us to learn and emulate. Okay, let's look at Mark chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 32 through 42. Another very well-known passage of scripture that we should remember, especially around Easter time. It starts off this way. 
and they went to a place called Gethsemane, which means oil press. Okay, what does that have to do anything? Well, when you feel squished and pressured and pushed and pulled and grounded and stomped on, okay, like Jesus did, but as we do also, Gethsemane was a good place for him to be, as far as that's concerned. So they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and greatly troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground on his face and he prayed earnestly that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they didn't know how to answer him. And he came to them a third time and said, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. Now the Lord's circumstances, look at this. Jesus' circumstances were dire. And his emotions were strong and real and raw. But he didn't get swayed by them. And what I mean by that is he didn't let the, the flippers as the circumstances and feelings Make him be the ball pushed around all over the place. He had a mission to do. He had a thing to accomplish. He was willing to lay his life down. The time had come. He wasn't going to let the emotions and the feelings as strong and influential and as real as they were, as we just read, change what he was about to do. And thank God that he didn't, or we wouldn't have the chance of salvation today. He went to his source of truth and strength and power and grace and love to receive what he needed to proceed and to endure. We need to do the same thing. His circumstances didn't cause him to flee, nor did his feelings cause him to shrivel in fear. And if he had, like I just said, we would not have the opportunity today for reconciliation, for cleansing, for forgiveness and salvation. He knew what the Father's plans were, and he willingly submitted to them. It was a brutal scourging. By that, I mean a flogging. And what I mean by that was when he was whipped, the Bible says it wasn't just a whip. It had several whips twisted into one, but they had not, well, twisted into one so it fit in one's hand. But the rest of it, they were all loose. 
because it was separate whips. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, each one had bits of rocks. Some people say glass, and other people said broken bones, small little pieces in it. And the reason for that was, so when they whipped it, these things were sharp, and they would dig into the flesh and the tendons, so they wouldn't just slap them on the back while they hard and hurt. They would actually pull his flesh apart. Can you imagine that? We thought the cross was bad, and it was, and this is brutal. It's a gruesome way to be to be treated and to be killed. But in all the setting of this was actually a public spectacle. Bad enough for you to have to go through all this, but everybody was watching. It's like you were put on um, on a stage for everybody to see you at your worst time in, at the worst time in your life. Now, seven hundred years before this. 700 years before this, Isaiah prophesied about him. And he said these words. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. This means that he was whipped, beaten, and pierced, and executed so badly that his bodily form and appearance was so vastly different from anything we'd ever seen, and we wouldn't even recognize him if we saw him. Now we, you know this, we tend to flinch when we fear something, okay? We just immediately, we flee in our minds when fearful thoughts come, come our way, <clears throat> or in reaction to something or someone we'll have to face. What I'm saying is, we flinch in the in, in the slightest little confrontational opportunity or the slightest fearful thought. We don't like those things. We like to flee from them in our minds. We like to think about other things. Okay, just from that. But what he went through, he didn't do that at all, okay? In his humanity, he pleaded to not to have to undergo what he knew full well was imminent. It was coming right away. It was going to happen any moment. Yet again in his humanity, he ultimately and of his own accord decided to yield his will to the Father's will. This is mind-blowing. Are we willing to lay down our lives willingly for him? Now, okay, if he had not yielded and submitted to the Father's plan that was set in motion long before Isaiah even prophesied that, 700 years before that, and that was 2,000 years ago, what would be our fate? What would be our fate if he didn't willingly submit to that? Now, we got to ask ourselves this question. We would be headed for the lake of fire, right? But how will we fulfill the Father's plans for our lives, and how will that affect others' lives if we don't submit our lives like Jesus, to the Creator's plans and purposes. Okay, now think about that for a minute. If Jesus hadn't submitted his will to the Father's, the Father's plan for his life would not have been fulfilled. We would not have a chance at reconciliation in heaven. So now that we're Christians, if we don't submit our will to the Father, then how are we going to live out God's plan for our lives, and how's it going to affect other people that God's going to use us since we're ambassadors for Christ to reconcile other people back to the Father? It's the same thing. Jesus to us, us to others. So many pro professing believers, this is real. You know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not downing anyone. I'm not 
pointing my finger at anyone, okay? But this is just true. So many professing believers, even myself sometimes, we either forget or we don't know at all. And if we don't know, it's because we're not true Christians yet, okay? But we forget the meaning or the purpose or the pre-qualifications for becoming a child of God. Remember, Galatians 2.20, and this is at the core, this is at the core of our, our salvation, okay? It says clearly and fundamentally, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. Now, another verse, I call it a sister verse because they go hand in hand together, that I always mention with the previous one because the Lord showed me they go hand in hand, okay? And it's Colossians 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, In him also you were circumcised, with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. Okay. By the circumcision of Christ, not of yourself, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, this is necessary, but it's also excellent. Romans 6, 5 says this, For if we have been united with him in death, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection. Again, so we have death, resurrection, death, resurrection, death, resurrection. One can't happen without the other. Second Timothy 2, 11 says this. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. It's talking about eternity. And even John 2, 12, 24 speaks of this as if it, as it relates to the Christian life, okay? In between the death of self and eternity, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears or produces much fruit. Now, there's several ways to die, right? Okay, we can say among them, we can list them all, but among them are metaphorically, symbolically, spiritually, and physically. There are others, but we'll just mention those four, okay? Now, we always hear about people in overt and oppressive anti-Christian countries, okay, like North Korea and Afghanistan and Nigeria is, is bad, and China, and all these other places, okay, they're very anti-Christian, okay? They face real persecution, okay? They live with the absolutely real possibilities and actualities of rape, yes, torture, in whatever form that takes, and I hate to think about that. Kidnapping, yes. Church and house fires, yes. Shootings, arrests, bombings, yes. Beheadings, yes. Imprisonments, yes. Trials and all sorts of other things. Some flee. Some go underground and practice the faith in an understandably secret manner. 
to protect their families, okay, to stay united as families and churches, to build themselves up in the faith, okay? and to continue to gather together, to pray, to fellowship, to sing songs. That's what, that's what the scripture tells us. They're all wonderful things, and that's what we should be doing. But sometimes when I think about this, it comes to my mind that instead of going underground, instead of being secretive, what instead of fleeing, what if they what if they stayed? Okay, what if they were obvious and open rather than hidden? And I know what I'm saying, okay? I, I put myself in their shoes, not not for a minute. Okay, but this thought's coming to my mind several times, so I have to be real and I have to talk about it. The first thing that comes to my mind, obviously, is what would I do personally. We always like to think that we would do things differently in certain situations like these, right? But the truth is we have no idea how we would react until we got put in that situation. Again, because our feelings and emotions take over and... I'm not saying it's wrong to flee. I'm not saying it's wrong to protect your family. I'm not saying it's wrong to gather secretly and be able to gather and worship and build each other up in the faith. No, but what I'm saying is, and, and, and scripture tells us, and life tells us, experience tells us that the church always grows and flourishes during times of persecution. But what if we, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not saying I would be able to do it. What if we didn't hide? What if we didn't fear? What if he didn't flee? What if he didn't go underground? What if we weren't secret? What if we were open and obvious? Yes, terrible things would happen to us. But then how much more would the church grow? How many more people would be saved? How many more people would become emboldened by our boldness? So instead of our fear latching onto them, <laughs> you know, if we were bold, they would be bold too, right? Now, again, I'm not saying I would have the boldness to do this, but I really, 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 really hope that I would. And I hope I don't find this out in my lifetime, but maybe I will. I don't know where I got God hasn't told me. And I'm not being dramatic. I'm just saying this could be a very real possibility at some point for all of us, even in America. Like I said, but we, we, we haven't even come remotely close to these kinds of situations and decisions like this. And we can all be honest, okay, even without having these realities as part of our lives. And imagine how would we, how would we react even to the possibility of one such occurrence happening to us? We hear often how the church grows despite these atrocities, like I was just telling you about. But, but that's the work of Almighty God, too. We also read in Matthew 5.14, different context. But the analogy still absolutely applies, okay? Remember this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Can you see how that verse has a different meaning, but a very real good applicable meaning okay in other words jesus might have been saying okay don't be afraid you're the light okay how are people going to see you and hear your testimony and hear your witness if you go underground if you flee you won't be like a city on a hill you'll be like a lamp under the basket okay so as a church 
we don't know what we're going to face. I don't want any of you or myself to have to go through this. But I'm just saying that I hope if we go through some harder real forms of persecution in the future, in the near future, whether it's America or wherever in the world it is, I pray that God would give us the ability and the courage and the boldness to stand rather than to run or flee or go underground. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. Everybody can see it. Now it's easy to write these words, okay, for myself. It's easy to, for me to read them or to, to, to speak them to you. But what are we willingly ready to do as Christ did for us in order to fulfill God's plans and purposes for us as it relates to how it affects others? Jesus died of his own accord so he might be reconciled to the Father. He's our example to imitate. He died and rose again, and he's promised the same to us. We read it in a few, we read it earlier, okay? We in the States and elsewhere are beginning to see what I would say are, are the belly bumps, okay? Just the first signs or indications of persecution in various forms here in the States, but we have not yet experienced the birth pains at all. Part of God's preparing us for whatever lies ahead is emulating what Christ did for us. That's the joy that scripture says that he had on his mind that he set before him that his heart was on while he was being crucified. Okay, we, we the word says, are his ambassadors. Okay, that's 2 Corinthians 5. 20. We are his ambassadors now that he's at the right hand of the Father. He is making his appeal through us. He and we both proclaim, be reconciled to God, right? He has died, we have died. He and we have and will rise again. We have died spiritually. Will we, if necessary and for him, die physically? If it comes to that, if we want to bear much fruit, we must be willing to be that grain of wheat. This is the reality in the resurrection that we celebrate. Holy Spirit, speak to us as individuals. Give us courage and take us to school. We love you. Our lives are not our own. We love you. Amen.